What's up, podcast? Welcome to another episode of Insights. Uh, as you can probably tell, I have a little bit of a cold during the recording of this intro, so please bear with me. Uh, but on this episode, we have the first segment of Empower You. That is the first week of, Empo- of the Empower You series, and it's on nutrition. So what you're going to hear today is Andy Rogers speak on nutrition and uh, some of the performance medicine philosophies surrounding nutrition. Uh, Dr. Rogers will also get in and do a little Q&A as well. Uh, it's a really cool episode. This series has been uh, a huge success. We've gotten a lot of positive feedback from it, and we wanted to put it on the podcast and insights is the perfect show to put it on. So I'm going to let you guys get to uh, get to the seminar here. Uh, this is Andy Rogers in the first uh, the first series of Empower You, uh, which is going on currently uh, for the next six weeks. I think we have four more, um, and this is the first one on nutrition. So here is Andy Rogers uh, with the first segment of Empower You. Andy, I'm a physician's assistant at Performance Medicine. I know most of you all here. Uh, thank you for coming to our first series of Empower You, where we t- uh, we're going to have seven weeks where we discuss different topics that we feel are very important to overall health and and looking at the patient and looking at ourselves holistically. It's not just about nutrition, though. That's what we're covering today. It's about sleep, about movement, about exercise, about making sure that all your joints are working exactly the way they should be, Dr. Gorman. So there's really really cool stuff. We have a special guest today, Ashley, with Smash Meals, who's going to tell us a little bit about. Her her business and how you can get some really good foods uh, for low cost and very conveniently eating. So I feel like a lot of what we do, uh, we're deterred by convenience and this is totally taking that out of the equation. So it's really cool. Thank you all for coming. And we have um, our resident boomer in the back. I don't know if y'all know the hashtag OKBoomer, but uh, if you'll look back, you'll see that he may not look almost 65. I I said your age out loud, I'm sorry, but this so dad is here dr rogers he's going to help out too with today's program so let's get started nutrition any specific questions you have too we're going to have a q a i want to kind of knock this out in about 20 minutes um our program outline is going to kind of go over food basics what are we eating and we go over kind of the big three carbs proteins and fats what are they and where are they and what is good and what is bad in a general overview Then we'll go into kind of the popular nutrition protocols and diets. Uh, A lot of people come in to the clinic and ask questions about, uh, should I be in ketosis? Should I be fasting? Uh, Do I need to follow different diets? I actually didn't go through paleo on this one, but what do you think? What's best? What works for you? We'll kind of go over the most popular ones. If you have questions about any other specifics, um, just let me know. Um, you are what you eat. Eggs are made in the kitchen. I don't know who said that, but it is so true. Everybody comes in and says, I need to exercise more. Everybody needs to exercise. Everybody needs to move. But when we're talking about weight loss, specifically with nutrition, you are what you eat. I like to everyone to compare themselves to a car. You're an engine. We are engines and we use food sources fuel to feed ourselves to move and do things. That's just basic biochemistry. That's how we work. So in your car, if you think about it, if you put junk into your car, it's probably, if you go out and you mix a bunch of mud together and put it into your engine, is it going to start? No, you won't make it very far. If you put premium gas into your car or at least gas into your car, it's probably going to run a little bit more. You change your oil out too. You protect your car. These are all things that we put into our car. So that's how I like to blanket nutrition what you put into your mouth is important and it is worth the cost of buying good foods a lot of people say organic expensive and non-gmo foods i can't afford those i want to eat here it is worth it it is something you're putting into your mouth if you think about it when you're born what's the first thing you do what's the first thing you get food right food comes from mother or comes from bottle that's touching the mucosa in your mouth that's the first part of your immune system is through your mouth so thinking about what you put into your mouth is super important and underappreciated in our in our culture today especially so i want you to think about that every time we eat so what are we eating Carbs are my favorite. I love carbs. Kelly loves carbs. My sister, we're both type ones. 
Uh, and all we do is type ones. All I do every day is I count carbs. So for breakfast this morning, I had an English muffin. I had a scoop of coconut yogurt and I had three raspberries. All three of those portions of what I ate have carbohydrates in them. So what do I do as a type one? I count them and I get insulin. So when I want you to think about carbohydrates, I want you to think insulin. Every time you put a carb into your mouth, your body is spitting out insulin. And mine is not because I don't make insulin, so I give it. So that is the response to carbohydrates. What is a carb? Carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen. That's what it is in a different structure. And I want you to think that it breaks down into sugars. Sugars are the most important part of it. Um, good carbs and bad carbs. Um, this is just kind of overview. Anything high on the glycemic index. We talked about low GI foods and high GI foods. So foods that are high in the glycemic index, it's scored usually from zero to 100. Uh, so higher up on the list, I think there's a specific like marker of 70 and above is high glycemic index and lower than 50 is, is low glycemic index and you can Google everything. Uh, foods that are higher in the glycemic index are gonna spike your blood sugars and increase your insulin. Insulin antagonizes blood glucose. So those are both gonna spike. Think of anything that you would think is bad for you. Sugar, candy, potatoes, refined flour, breads, pastas. Think about what you do when you go to Bonefish or Olive Garden. They're putting a big fat plate of bread right before you start eating. That's chock full of carbs. Does anybody know how many carbs are in a slice of bread off the top of your head? Depends on, on where you're going. Do you know? No, I didn't want to know. <laughs> okay, so if you're getting a typical slice, the number that always comes to my mind is 20 grams per slice. And that's a, usually a thin slice of, think of thin slice of Wonder Bread. If you go to Panera, a sandwich at Panera is going to have upwards of 45 grams per slice. I usually get that, uh, what's that, bacon, tomato? Bacon, turkey, bravo. Bacon, turkey, bravo. <laughs> yeah, bacon, turkey, bravo. Each slice has 45 grams. I love doing carb counts because we, Kelly and I do carb counts every day. Low carb, if you're on a low carb diet, you're going to be anywhere between 50 to 60 grams per day. You eat one slice of that Panera sandwich, you're already at your load for the day. Typical U.S. intake is between the 200s and 300s every day. So think about, if you're in ketosis, which we'll go over that diet, 20 grams of carbs or less a day. So you are out of ketosis if you eat that one slice of bread from Panera. And think about it, that's a thick slice. That's the slice that you're getting before you eat the meal at Bonefish or before you eat the pasta at Olive Garden. It's crazy to think. Uh, good carbs. Carbs are also in fruits and fiber and vegetables. Uh, fruits are gonna be a little bit higher up on the index depending on the fruit. Vegetables, in my mind, I always think it's usually about five grams per handful or so or serving of vegetables. And I think of vegetables like leafy greens. So those are ones that we want to choose. Next thing, proteins. Um, everybody always thinks proteins, more proteins are good for you. It kind of depends on the person. It's not always the case. Um, when does actually protein become bad? The thing that comes to my mind is anybody that's a kidney patient. So we wanna be able to filter and use proteins. If you have kidney problems, you usually don't filter them as well. So they usually decrease your protein intake. There's, these are general guidelines of adult men needing about 56 grams per day, adult women needing about 46 grams per day. Um, it's gonna increase with athletes, with anybody that does the bigger activities like CrossFit or Olympic weightlifting, you're gonna probably need more to rebuild because what, is, what are proteins doing? They're amino acids. It's a long chain of amino acids that provide function, structure, tissue repair. It helps everything in your body. It sends signals as well. So when I, when I think of proteins, I think of your bones, your muscle, your cartilage, your skin, and your blood. Proteins are good, but you don't want to only have proteins. It kind of just depends on your body and your chemistry. Uh, generalized good proteins versus bad proteins. Uh, think of fish, liver, eggs. Um, I like omega-3 eggs for this. I think it's important where your eggs are sourced. Uh, Grass-fed beef, this is also another thing. Think, when you think of your meats, you think of proteins. And I do think it's important, and dad correct me if I'm wrong, buying organic chicken and poultry is very important. Uh, my cousin, mom's cousin, my second cousin, is a 
uh, surgical breast cancer oncology. She's she's phenomenal physician and surgeon out in Little Rock, and she's seeing a huge influx of younger females getting breast cancer. And why is that happening? There's a million reasons why. If you have something in your history that is part of that history, that's part of the you know, oh, you're on estrogen, it's because of estrogen. Oh, you did this, it's because of that. She thinks it's because these younger females are eating a ton more chicken. It's the chicken and kale girls that are wanting to lose weight. They're eating healthy, they're choosing good things, but that chicken is not organically sourced. It's chock full of hormones. So if you're gonna buy anything organic, if you choose one thing, I would buy organic chicken. Uh, but grass-fed beef is gonna be along the same measures as well. Uh, Bad proteins, soy proteins, why? Because soy can be a little bit estrogenic. With estrogens, we're gonna talk about hormones next week, which would be really fun because I love hormones. Um, too much estrogen is not good and too little estrogen is not good. I compare estrogen to your mom. Okay, so estrogen, you want her there most of the time. If she's, you want her there like 60 to 80% of the time. She's gonna protect your heart. She's gonna protect your bones. She's gonna make sure if you fall, you're not gonna break that bone. You have some structural fat because she wants to feed you and feel good. But if she feeds you too much or if you feel bad, you're gonna, you're, you're gonna go crazy, right? If your mom's there all the time, excluding my mom, thank you, mom. <laughs> it's gonna drive you nuts, right? So you don't want it there all the time. And soy proteins and soy-based Soy-based alternative meats too. A lot of this, we're going into a lot of alternative meats with Beyond Beef, with um, Impossible Burger, knowing what's actually in those. I believe Beyond Beef does not have soy products in it. But it's just nice to know that what is actually being uh, the alternative for those alternative meats. Uh, Nitrate-containing products, hot dogs, bacon, um, it's just not great for your system. Thoughts on nitrate-containing products? Just bad? Okay, no reason why. Okay, cool, 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 cool. Personogenic, you know, yeah. we stay away from it if you can. Yeah. Tell that to the four slices of bacon we have this morning. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Okay, um, and hormone-fed uh, hormone uh, meats. So, uh, proteins. Next thing we have are fats. So fats, there's this common misconception, and definitely there's some great documentaries. Everybody thought fats were bad for you in like the 90s. Everything was fat-free, fat-free ice cream, uh, low-fat yogurt. Fats are good for you. You need fats. If you're not eating fats, then you're eating carbs or eating proteins. You're only eating a certain number of things. So if you cut down on this, you're eating more of the other stuff. If I'm going to choose between the three, I'm choosing proteins and fats over carbs because I don't want to give insulin. So fats, what are fats? Mainly carbon and hydrogen, and they're arranged in a certain way. This is where it gets a little bit in the mud about polyunsaturated fats, monounsaturated fats, saturated fats, trans fats, what's good, what's bad. It's the way that they're arranged. So what stays liquid at room temperature and what stays solid at room temperature. That's basically the shape of the molecule. So what's bad? Generally, trans fats are bad. Mono and polyunsaturated fats are good and saturated fats are kind of in the middle. That's just a general rule of thumb if you need to choose between the three. Um, what do fats do? They provide energy, they provide structure, but they also absorb really important vitamins like A, D, E, and K. I used to work in a cystic fibrosis clinic and these kids usually have problems with their pancreas. So they'll get pancreatic insufficiency. Your pancreas helps with vitamin absorption. You need to take fat uh, soluble vitamins. Uh, so the fat, they always call them aquadex. So these kids would take A, D, E, and K and that was their mnemonic for it. It was called aquadex. Those are super important for everybody to have. And if you don't have fats, you won't be able to absorb them. Um, general, this is kind of too, you wouldn't know these. You know a bad fat when you see one. Cookies, high fructose corn syrup. <laughs> okay, so when we were kids, I swear this really happened. We would, <laughs> this would not seem like a Rogers thing to do now, but we actually did this. So we'd sit down, I'm sorry, I have to tell that this is, this is true. Thank I'm you, Severeville, Tennessee family. But um, we would sit down with these Hungry Jack biscuits, you know, the flaky ones that oh, we could just tear. Yes. And then <laughs> mom would have that as our side with butter and literally Cairo syrup on the table. 
which is just high fructose corn syrup, which I didn't really know until I went to college that that was, oh, I was like, oh yeah, high fructose corn syrup's bad for you. I was putting that on my biscuits forever. Thank you, but that's fine. So I loved it. We know better now. High fructose corn syrup is Cairo syrup. So it is just, corn is just a subject all on its own. But um, peanuts, peanuts can be inflammatory, which is why we try to typically avoid those and go for the alternative, the almond butter. Um, and it's a legume, it's not really a nut. Um, refined vegetable oils, you wanna choose the better oils, the coconut oils, um, flaxseed. Good fats can come from avocados, from nuts, uh, from raw cheese, and from almond butter. You, you know a good fat when you see one, and it's important to have. Um, Let's go on. Popular diets. Um, things to consider with this is what I get kind of pushback on is what's actually feasible with these. It's like, okay, great. You want me to intermittent fast and you want me to have ketogenic diet? Like, I can't do that. You want me to buy organic chicken and, and follow this plan? I can't do it. I work shift work and I work at night. Like, I get that all, all the time. I'm graveyard shift. I can't do this. And so it's important to kind of I think planning is important, and, and with Smash Bros too, that's where it comes so in handy, is the planning portion of it. A lot of people will take Sunday to cook for the meal, and I found that the biggest success for me was meal prepping, because it forces you to know exactly what's in your meals, you save money doing it, and getting a crock pot. Crock pots are easy, so finding out what's feasible for you, um, but also seeing what your goal is for it, so you notice, if you start if you start doing Botox, let's go for Botox for a second. You start doing Botox and you don't really know why. So you just start doing it and you don't notice the change. If we don't take a picture of you doing Botox at the beginning to after, you don't know why you're spending that amount of time and money on it. You don't know the change. So I think setting a plan and setting a goal. I want to do this to lose weight and here's where I kind of want to be. I want to do this because I have brain, I feel like I have brain fog and, I, and I'm not eating well and eating well will help me think clearly. See where you get that goal and setting a plan at the beginning. Uh, and also seeing if you have support groups. Support groups are great. Google and Dr. Google can be bad sometimes, but and other times you find really great recipes. When patients come in and start HCG, all the time they're bringing in recipes and ideas from the internet that fit the protocol and are great and tastier than what we have put it in our protocol book. So I, I, I'd always Google, but take it with a grain of salt. Ketogenic. This is the first thing we're going to talk about. Ketosis. So basically this is eating more fats. So it's going to be about 80% of your intake for the day and less carbs. So ketosis, there's different things online about how many grams per day. Usually shooting for 20 grams or less of carbs per day. So someone tell me what they ate today. Rhea. Oh tell me what you ate for breakfast today. <laughs> we'll see if you're in ketosis. What did you eat for breakfast and what did you eat for lunch? So I'm not a breakfast so you're intermittent fasting. That's fantastic. We'll go over that, that next. Good. You're killing it. You're killing it. And then lunch, it all went downhill. Um, <laughs> I had chilies, quesadillas. There was bacon on it. It's okay. No, I did not. Listen, I did not mean to put you on the spot for that. So, so quesadillas, the tortilla is going to have the. That's going to be the carbs in it. Usually, anything in between in a quesadilla is usually going to be chicken and cheese. Those are free foods, no carbs. Uh, some of the vegetables added could add maybe a little bit, but not much. So, whenever I count for quesadillas, I just count for tortilla. It would put us out of ketosis for that for that one meal. But I was just one an example that it's sometimes hard to get it's hard to get to ketosis uh, so what does this do ketones and the way ketogenic that actual word keto ketones are a byproduct of fat so when we're burning fat for energy we create ketones it's different in the type 1 world whenever people say oh ketones are bad they are bad when you're in diabetic ketoacidosis which is different um, it's a different mechanism of action. You don't have insulin on board to help control gl uh, glucose and the ketones basically turn your blood acidic and it becomes deathly. So that's, I want you to differentiate. This is not ketoacidosis. This is ketosis. And the way to check ketosis is actually a blood stick. You check your finger, prick your finger, and you check if you have ketones. 
Um, and I believe the ketone range is anywhere, I think from 0.3 to 2 is the ketone range that they look for. Um, so how do we do it? 20 grams of carbs or less a day and check by ketones. And this, and we can, are we able to share these PowerPoints? We can maybe share these PowerPoints. This is a yes, no list. And I just Googled this. You think of anything, think of fats and proteins with this. Um, things to watch out for. Have you heard of keto flu? People will get kind of lethargic start, starting off with keto. Whenever you have a massive shift in the things that you are eating, your body responds and it thinks that it's going into shock mode. So you may get keto flu. It's usually for the first couple days, but it's actually kind of a normal response. Um, and other things that people will notice with ketogenic diet is a drop in blood pressure and blood glucose, which is normally for 99% of people a good thing. But if you're on anything that's gonna add to it, say if you're on a blood pressure medication, it's nice to watch for that and you may need to decrease it. Um, intermittent fasting, what is, uh, Rhea, thank you for your example of intermittent fasting. <laughs> it's really only eating between certain periods of time throughout the day. Um, a lot of people like using this. Dad likes using intermittent fasting. He is an intermittent faster. There's different protocols. If you're interested in really getting into the specifics of the science, there's a great website. He's Dr. Dr. Fung, F-U-N-G. He's a Canadian nephrologist and he loves intermittent fasting for kidney health. Why do we do this? It's eating for a limited amount of time to allow for promotion of gut health, reduction of toxins, and increases human growth hormone. Uh, these are nine different benefits of it. If you think of it with fasting, religions, a lot of religious groups fast. Like, uh, what's what's one of the uh, Jewish ones? It starts with a, uh, no, Jews. no, but Jews. It's it's it's, it's Christians. Uh, no, no. There's a specific one that I'm. Th uh, oh, I'm in something, so I can't break fast. Oh. You know what I'm talking about? We're not in New York or Florida, so I guess this isn't like a big thing. Oh, God, I don't know. Sorry for Facebook. Um, shoot, I'll think about that one. Religious groups fast all the time, and they, they fast. And I think part of it is, yes, from the religious, from the books, this is something that's traditional. But a lot of the times I think it's for health reasons, too. I went to a conference a couple months ago, led by integrated medical docs from all over the country. And they're, you, whenever you go to these conferences, you know where you at. If, if, if you go to an aesthetics conference and a Botox conference, everybody looks like they've had them. So <laughs> this one, everybody looks super fit and young and they're all in their 70s and they look incredible. I was like, and you want to look like them. And they talk about the best thing that you can do for your body is a true three-day fast. And they said that's the best thing you can do. That's when you have turnover from cell senescence, from cell aging and cell death, and promotion of gut healing. They say true three-day fast. Mm -hmm. Intermittent fasting is just a, a way of doing it. It's, it's a feasible way. A three-day fast is hard. It's just hard to do water only for three days. So starting off with the intermittent fast and seeing how you're doing, I notice a lot of patients, a lot of male patients especially, lose weight off intermittent fasting. What do we do? We eat for only eight hours per day. This is just one of many protocols. There's a 12-12 intermittent fasting. 16-8 is the most popular one. You eat for only eight hours per day. You don't eat any later or any earlier. So skipping breakfast and then we have, we, the countdown's on. So if you started at 12, we have until eight. Okay. So get it in while you can. Get it in. Um, so what's best truth three-day fast on Dr. Fung's website? A fasting mimicking, and this is what we just talked about with Prolon, and we have brochures on Prolon too. We're not sponsored by Prolon, but we would love to be sponsored by them. What is it? It's a, fa a fasting mimicking. It's like... It's like fasting without fasting. It's fasting while you're eating. So the scientists out in California came up and did a ton of research with cellular testing on what foods do not create a response from your gut. So it's foods that evade cellular like detection. So they send you this box of food and a lot of it is, is soups. A lot of it's soups. But what, what they do, soups and teas, it tricks your body into thinking that it's fasting when you're not fasting. So you get the benefits of a fast without the fast. It's pretty cool and it's a five day program. Uh, the foods are chosen, so they send them to you. Um, why stem cell based rejuvenation, maintaining metabolic markers, 
quick abdominal fat fat loss. I I think it's pretty cool, and I feel like if you are interested in fasting and cannot do a true three day fast, this is one to try out. And the doctors at that conference actually backed this one up and said it's good. Autoimmune diet, I love this one. I think it's so cool. His name is Dr. Gundry. He was a cardiothoracic surgeon out in Loma Linda, California. World-renowned surgeon, had tools named after him in surgical techniques. He gained, he was following a very specific like, he was vegetarian, vegan, he was choosing all the right stuff and he gained 70 pounds, had metabolic syndrome, his cholesterol was through the roof um, and he felt awful and so he thought, why? And he says, well, let's look at the things I'm eating. So he says that plants and animals have defenses against us eating them. They want to survive and produce offspring and reproduce just like we do. If someone's going to pick you up and eat you, you're going to do everything you can to make sure that that doesn't happen again or to your kids. Think about plants doing the same thing against us. A plant, a tomato does not want you to come and pick it up and eat it. It wants to reproduce and make more tomatoes and have a tomato garden. So plants have different defenses against doing it. It's not just if you think about spiky foods, a kiwi, a, kiwi's, a kiwi may, is it a kiwi that has the spikes? Kiwi is a bad yeah. example. Um, what is that, a kumquat? <laughs> What's that? It's, there's, there's, you can think about, there's different ways that they have defenses. It's not just the rind and the shell. Yeah, an artichoke, it's spiky. It's spiky. You have to be very adept at getting into it. You need thumbs probably to get into it to be able to eat it without cutting yourself. That's its defense against you eating it. So what about a tomato? It doesn't have it soft, it's plump, it's sitting right there, it's stuck to a vine, it can't run away. It does it by the seeds. So the seeds are soft seeds. And Dr. Gundry goes very specifically into hard seeds, peach pit, so peaches want to be eaten, tossed, and grown again. Soft seeds want to stay where they are. So how, what do they do to you? They make you feel like crap. What's the number one thing with, with GERD, with acid reflux, they tell you, do you eat any tomatoes, salsa, spicy foods? It's going to upset and cause acid reflux. That's usually from the seeds causing that. Jalapenos, just bite into a pepper. What does it make you feel like? Your eyes water. You gag, you cough, you're hot, you have a reaction to it. Your body's trying to tell you never to do that again. It's saying cough that up, it's causing a reaction. So Dr. Gundry, I, he goes way into detail with this, which I think is really cool, but he's big on lectins. Everybody says glutens are the enemy, but glutens, he says, are the scapegoat for lectins. Lectins are the big family tree that glutens belong to. And he actually thinks that wheat germaglutinin, you can look at you can look on a nutrition label and look at the ingredients and you will see wheat germaglutinin. That's gonna cause just as much inflammation and damage as as gluten does. But it's celiac disease, everybody goes for gluten, but lectins are his big thing. So what does this do? Avoiding these foods that cause this inflammatory reaction is gonna make you feel better. The gut wall is very thin. If you ever heard the term leaky gut syndrome, it's not truly like a medical term, but it's proposed that the gut wall is so thin, which your gut, remember, provides your immunity. So your gut wall's thin. You get something in there that's gonna break through, like a lectin, like gluten, it's gonna come in and cause a response. They've they've attributed, think, they Type 1 diabetes, that's such an easy subject for me because we've lived with it. They've thought for a long time that it's caused by dietary intake at certain, a certain gen, uh, genotype with diet that can cause it. There's other theories too, but there's something to this to where there's a reaction. The, for whom it works best, Dr. Gundry says arthritic patients, patients with thyroid problems, with weight gain that they can't explain by hormones, unexplained abdominal pain, IBS patients do very, very well on autoimmune diet. We have a very specific, he has a yes and no list. And I think it's fun just to give to patients and say, where do you fall on this? Do you have a lot of no's? Do you have a lot of yeses? How do you feel? I think it's a, I think it's a really, really good one to try. I think it's fun, and it's not as limiting as you think. HCG, uh, human chorionic gonadotropin. HCG is the pregnancy hormone. This is one of our most popular diets that we do here, and one of our, I feel like it's a great protocol that we have, starting in the 1970s by Dr. Simeon, where he came up with this protocol and adding a hormone to help with quick weight loss. 
HCG is a hormone that you pee on a stick and you say, I'm pregnant. So what does that do? That allows for the transfer of fat from mom to fetus to help baby grow and protect them. Moms, she's there all the time. She wants to give you that fat. She wants to make sure you are protected. Nothing is gonna happen for mama bear. What happens when you don't have a fetus? You, you think, you're about, you trick your body into transferring that abnormal fat, that third type of fat that's hard to get rid of with diet alone, and you pee it out. That's how HCG works. It works best with a very strict 500 calorie diet. It used to be only 40 days, and now we can do an abbreviated 26 day program where you're injecting this hormone every day to allow for that transfer of fat. It used to be billed as a pound a day, um, but it, we found that it varies from patient to patient. And also too, every patient is not the same. So say if someone goes on HCG and they have thyroid issues, which contributes to weight gain metabolism, they won't do the same that somebody else has. Um, so yeah, let's build this pound a day. I love the HCG diet. If you're wanting something that's quick and, and focused, I've had two patients specifically wanna lose very little weight. This is normally like, I say if you want 30 or more, this is a great one to start off and reset. Um, but some people are like, I wanna lose three to five pounds, I wanna do HCG. They tell me that it is like being on Adderall. They say it, they are focused, they're clear-minded, they get things done. Uh, they end up losing the three to five pounds, but it's, it's not just for those. A lot of people think HCG has to be the one that you need the big weight loss. It does help with that situation, but anybody can do it. Um, I did this. Okay, Andy has two different lunches. I just want to see if <laughs> kind of like baseline what you all might know about carbs. Because I count carbs and what does carbs do? What does it spike? Insulin. Insulin and... So what does insulin antagonize? Inflammation. Inflammation? Okay, yes. Inflammation is good, but what does insulin work against? If you have high something, you need insulin. Glucose. 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 Thank you. So you have high glucose, high insulin. So my lunch number one, so I had two slices of mellow mushroom pizza with pepperoni and mushrooms. Not much, I'm a big guy, weigh 190 pounds, two slices is probably not a huge meal. I have a house salad with dressing. How many carbs do you think are in this lunch? Just, ball, you can ballpark it. Yeah. Two slices of pizza, not much. 60. 60, 60 is a good guess, any other guesses? It's upwards of 90. So 90, and that's not counting the house salad, that's not counting the dressing. So I always count salads as free, even though that probably has five-ish in there. The dressings are also chock full of sugar too. Each slice at Mellow Mushroom has 45 grams, and that is for a basic slice of pizza there. Uh, so how much insulin do I give and respond to this? This is a hard question. So my we come up with ratios as type ones. Mine's one to 10. So I would give upwards of 10 units of insulin just for this meal alone. And I've worn a sensor where I've done this, and my sugar, I will give insulin 30 minutes prior to this meal. The exact number I'm supposed to give, I wait and let it kick in. I do, I'm killing it as a type one, and my sugar still spikes. It, it spikes through the roof and comes back down. So I'm doing, every time you think of glucose spiking like that, glucose lives in the vessels, right? It's like little ninja knives, and it's just nicking you as you go down. And that's what it's doing with every spike, and it's causing inflammation and damage to your vessels. I'm, re I'm illustrating a point not to scare anybody. You can have pizza if you want to have pizza, but that's, that's on a uh, micro level, that's what it's doing. My second lunch, I have chicken salad on a bed of lettuce from Fresh Market, not sponsored by Fresh Market, a medium-sized Honeycrisp apple with almond butter. How many carbs are in this lunch? How many do you think? Less or more? Less. Less. How much less? How much do you think? 50. Okay, that's a good Yeah, 50 is a good guess. Mm -hmm. Any other guesses? 25. 25. 25. So I, so I came up with 30. So 30, most of, it's probably a little bit more than 30, but I always think of my heavy hitters. What do you think is the heavy hitter out of this? Between the, so I had an apple, an almond butter, chicken salad, and lettuce. What's the heavy hitter for carbs? Apple. apple. The apple's the one that I count the most. A medium-sized apple usually has about 30 grams, 25, 25 to 30 grams. So that's what I would count. So how much insulin would I give in response to this? One to 10? Three, three or four units. I went from 10 to three or four units. Uh, way lower on the glycemic index. Perfect. General guidelines, these all come from uh, Dad, Dr. Rogers' uh, total health book. So I'm just gonna read them and just stop me at any point and, and if you wanna explain a little bit more. 
Sodas, even diet, are bad for you. There's, that is the one thing. If you can cut one thing from your life, cutting sodas, especially diet sodas. Diet sodas does not mean diet. It is, they replace the sugar with sodium and with aspartame. These sucralose, these fake sugars. If you're gonna choose any fake sugar, I would do Truvia or Stevia. Those are plant-based. Sodas are the thing that you, you can cut sodas and you can lose weight with that. There are other ways to get your caffeine fix. And I think it's a marketing thing. They put that in sugar and they make it addictive so that you want more. It's genius, but you do not have to play privy to it. Um, eat less and eat more vegetables. Um, I got this from, there's a great, uh, there's a, the disobedient dietitian, Amber Gorley. She's great. It's like, what's this like a general thing? Most general things that come from nutritionists and dietitians are going to say, eat, eat, eat less, and then eat more vegetables. If you're going to choose one thing to eat more of, eat more vegetables. Uh, never go on a low fat diet. We talked about why we want fats. Um, eat foods lower on the glycemic index. High fructose corn syrup, except for my youth with Kalo syrup. How oh, I miss you. Zoe is estrogenic, drink water. I had a patient a couple weeks ago, type, had type 2 diabetes. His A1C was 14 when he started off at diagnosis. Crazy high. His blood sugars around the four or five hundreds. So he's full-blown type 2 diabetes. That's fine. He just didn't know. And now we know. Uh, started off on one or two medications. Came down to about eight, which is huge, which is awesome. But you want to come down below seven or get in the sixes. You want your A1C, which is a diabetes marker you want it low so the only thing we changed at one month was drinking more water he said i never drink water he drank more water like he killed it in the water game at eight to ten glasses like i mean he was only drinking water his a1c came down almost two points his fastings came down almost a hundred points from water alone when a kid is diagnosed with type 1 diabetes and DKA and they go to the hospital, you start fluids first. You would think, get the kid insulin. Insulin's not going to work unless you have fluids for it to move around in. So water is, is insanely important and we do not drink it enough. Limit fast food because you don't know what's in that fast food. I, I saw it in pediatric indo a lot. It's the Chick-fil-A and Starbucks diet. Every kid in high school, that's all they eat is Chick-fil-A and Starbucks. It's Frappuccinos every day, which is loaded with sugar. And Chick-fil-A, although you can get better options now with grilled chicken nuggets and different sides besides the potatoes, it's still fast food. It's still additives. It's still preservatives. I had an accountant patient one time that told me she knew the bottom line difference between the shelf, you add shelf life for three days to one product, that bottom line just, I mean, they, the profits soar. So it's, it's a marketing tool for preservatives and that's what's going in fast foods. This broth before a meal, this comes from the sugar surfer, oh, I, I forget his name, he, his type one, he says if you struggle with like feeling full, like with your meal, we're eating less, or just not feeling full, he does broth before a meal. So broth is a great way. If you think if you go to Asian, any Asian meal you go to, you're gonna have that little cup of soup or broth. Um, and I always think that Asians are in really great health anyways. Broth before a meal can help you feel fuller faster and it avoids the pre-meal bread. Avoid sugars. Um, we talked about organic and non-GMO. Dairy can be inflammatory. So we didn't even talk really talk about just dairy. Um, Dr. Gundry, the autoimmune diet, he chooses a specific cow. He chooses an A2 cow, a European cow, versus cows we have here, which are A1s. You can actually buy A2 milk. Dairy has just been proposed to be very inflammatory, and it's because there's specific antibodies in it. There's diabetogenic antibodies in milk. So they've linked it to type 1 diabetes, but hasn't been proven. Dairy, I would limit it if you could. Um, aspartame, fake sugars, the ones to choose are Truvia and Stevia. Um, dark chocolate, uh, the more cocoa, the more cocoa, the darker the chocolate, the better. And that's because it has flavonoids in it. It's real, it actually becomes almost like an antioxidant dessert. So that's the one if you're going to choose a dessert and plan your meals. I talk a lot. Was that a lot? Oh my God. I'm so sorry. I, I love talking. 
And if you gave me an hour and a half, I would still keep going. Uh, do we have any questions? We're going to have um, a moment with Ashley too with Smash Meals, but yes. So there's glycemic index and then there's glycemic load. Yes, there is a difference between the two. Can you explain that? D- hey, Dad, I did look this up yesterday. Glycemic index and glycemic load, because those are different. And I know that foods lower on the glycemic index are better, but it did, and they're different numbers too and different thresholds. I don't know the answer off the top of my head. I feel like it's going to be with how quickly it goes into your system and spikes your sugars. Glycemic load versus glycemic index. Loads, how fast it gets in. Index is just the number on the, the bread or the potato. Or so lower the, the load. The like bread. bananas are fruits, but they're terrible for you because they have a high glycemic index. They'll turn to sugar. They are sugar. Yeah. So fruits are okay, but you got to watch the amount of what kind and the amount of fruit that you eat. Like avoid, for the most part, bananas, grapes, mangoes, melons. Really, your food that you eat boils down to three things. What type of food, how much you eat of it, and the timing of the eating. All three are equally important. So you could eat the same amount of food, but time it bad, gain weight. I mean, everybody in this room's lean and fit. You know, we're kind of preaching to people that really may not need this as much as some other people. But, um, you know, when we put everybody on a low-fat diet, like I learned in medical school back in the early 80s, our whole country got fat because of carbs. Look what happened to our country. Look what's still happening. I mean, it's amazing that even the nutritionists don't know what they're doing, in my opinion. I had a patient that got went to the hospital a couple months ago for an elective gallbladder. This is a type 2 diabetic. They came back post-hospitalization to see me in my office, and matter of fact, the same day, just for a check, and I asked him, how did your sugars run while you are in the hospital? And he goes, well, man, they ran really high. And I go, well, you know, they knew you were a diabetic. You talked to the dietitian, nutritionist. And he goes, yeah, they met with me twice. You know, so they knew I was a diabetic. I was on the diabetic diet. So I asked, what, what did you eat for breakfast this morning in the hospital before you left? And I swear to God, this is what they said. Glass of orange juice, two eggs, grits, toast, and jelly. That was the diabetic diet that the nutritionist prescribed that diabetic. So there's a lot of ignorance in, in medicine. I mean... You know, in medicine, we're really way behind things. You know, I mean, you may read a report that you see on CBS News, like the big news now is intermittent fasting. It's all over the news. You know, we've been preaching that for five years. And, you know, so things, you got to really get on top of it early because traditional medicine, as Paul Tay, is way behind. You know, they almost have to do a double-blind placebo-controlled study to tell you that you know, fats are better than sugar. I mean, some of it actually is kind of common sense, but, um, you know, nutrition is just the most important thing you can do. We're going to try to get these lecture series on exercise, nutrition, sleep, stress, hormones. But the reason we always start out with nutrition is because it's by far the best. I mean, you know, you can't out-train a bad diet. It's like we were talking about earlier. Um, This is something you do every day you may not exercise every day you can choose to not exercise but you're gonna eat you're gonna put something in your mouth so knowing what you're putting in your mouth how you're fueling your tank is important and it's not that hard you know just a few changes you'd be surprised at what you can do just a minor few changes you don't have to go keto not many people can do keto you know I prescribe a lot of keto diets Um, not many people can stay in it you know, if they do try keto, I always beg them, please do what's called cyclical keto, where you cheat a couple meals a week on it at least. You know, not with sugar, but with maybe brown rice or sweet potatoes. But it's very hard, especially for women, to stay in keto. ACG is a great diet because it's fast. 20 years ago, I told my patients that I, that I would try to get to lose weight. I mean, you go to a typical doctor and if you're lucky enough to have them mention your weight, you know, I need you to lose weight this year. If you, if they did that, if they happened to do that, and then you say, oh, how do I lose weight? 
And they'll say, well, it's simple. Eat less and exercise more. That doesn't work. It's so complex, it's unbelievable. I mean, number one, everybody's different. Life is not fair. I tell all my patients, don't you remember this? Life is not fair. Your beanpole buddy may be eating twice as bad as you are and they're beanpole, then you're overweight. So everything's different. I do think you can overcome your genetics. I really do, but it may be a little more restrictive for some people. But, um, but I used to tell my patients, lose a pound a week. That's all I want you to lose. It'll stay off. That was BS. That was what I was taught. I was taught the wrong things. Um, I like fast weight loss. I like it because psychologically, there's a lot of mental to, to losing weight, too. I mean, there's a lot of psychology to losing weight. Not only from why you eat something to how much cortisol you put out and all that, but if you lose a lot of weight quick, you're more likely to kind of stick to it, in my opinion. You feel so great. You're off half your medicine. You're moving around. You're more likely to keep it off, in my opinion. It's too discouraging to lose a pound a week, especially if you have 30 pounds to lose. Or some of our patients need 150 pounds. So there's a lot of ways to get there. You know, but I do think most people need help in figuring out your metabolism, your hormones, your thyroid, your insulin levels, your cortisol. You need some kind of help. You usually need some kind of medical help too to get you started. And then in the end, I think the two things that really work for almost everybody I see, low carb, low carb. It's all about the carbs really. And then I love the intermittent fasting. You know, I know in myself, um, I'm, a, I'm a pretty lean guy, genetic-wise, but um, I noticed I was getting this 65-year-old little bit of a roll here that I'd never had. I started doing intermittent fasting. Gone. I mean, it's gone. I just don't eat at night, and I never eat breakfast anymore. I get my Bulletproof coffee, Kenny will tell you, every morning. That's all. I don't eat breakfast. I just put my Bulletproof in my Yeti, sip on it all morning. It gives me energy, and it's filling. It's full of good fats. It tastes good, too. Um, so there's a lot of ways to get there. You know, the reason really I got interested in nutrition was because of Andy and Kelly coming down with type 1 diabetes. I realized I knew nothing about nutrition while I was taught was wrong. So it led me, in, and I had all these overweight patients that I was just piling medicine after medicine after medicine on. And their numbers looked better, but they were still miserable and overweight and hurting all the time. I wasn't helping them. And really, I'd just rather get somebody, the, the biggest measure of your health is really your weight, I think. Forget, you know, cholesterol, blood pressure, A1C, just lose weight. I mean, unfortunately, doctors nowadays, I'll tell you a great secret here. Doctors are being paid by how low they get your numbers. In other words, this is really a shame, but this is the way it's done now in big groups. If you go to the, if you go to the doctor and your cholesterol is 220, they're gonna to wanna to snap you on a, a statin drug as quick as you can say yes. And they don't tell you what it can do to you. The fact that it doesn't prevent heart disease in the first place. But anyway, they're gonna snap you on that. They're gonna snap you on something for your sugar if your A1C is a little bit elevated. And also probably a blood pressure medicine. You know, to get those numbers looking great because they get paid for performance. They actually get bonused on how low your numbers are. So it's a lot easier to put you on a medicine and actually sit down and try to get to the bottom of why you're eating that and actually educate you on what to eat. Most of the time they don't know what to eat. So why would they tell you anyway? We had a patient too that got a, bon a bonus from his employer for having a certain cholesterol number. Yeah, I forget which. Yeah, but there's yeah. a guy that moved here from North Carolina. He's a fireman, and I, I'm, he's coming in to me for general care. And and, uh, and I go, why are you on Lipitor? Is your cholesterol that high? And he goes, no, no. If you're um, if you're in North in this particular city in North Carolina, if your cholesterol's under 200, uh, you get paid a hundred dollars more a year. So here he is on Lipitor, high dose of Lipitor. His, his cholesterol is only 220 in the first place. 
So he was on that medicine for the rest of his life because he wanted an extra hundred dollars when he didn't know that was really a bad thing for him. You know, most of your steroids come from cholesterol anyway, so immediately I took him off of it. But um, and he felt a ton better because everybody, he, every bone in his body was hurting. I was going to have to send questions. him to Dr. Gorman. <laughs> any other questions? Getting better. Um, but anyway, I was going. Any other questions? Questions. We're running late. Comments, concerns. Perfect. We gotta have one good question. Time, I want to give them time to talk. Oh yeah, share your story. I got a question. For you. I'm a I'm a vegetarian and I eat a lot of soy protein. And I didn't know it had estrogen in it. So, but if it wasn't for Morningstar, I'd be dead probably. Because I eat. I mean, I eat it every. I mean, I eat that stuff every day. And you know, so I mean, are there other alternatives? I mean, I grew up eating meat and then I stopped 20 years ago. And I went into the alternatives, but if they're soy protein, they're all basically the ones I eat are soy protein. I prefer pea protein, but um, so that's probably a better choice. But as long as you're checking your estrogen levels, I mean, you know, that's a simple, cheap test that you can see. But the United States, the soy is mostly GMO. I mean, you may be getting a better source of it, but um, soy in general is pretty estrogenic. But if you're checking your levels and I mean, I'm not against a vegetarian diet at all. As a matter of fact, a lot of athletes are going to it and feeling better. You lose weight. You got to be careful, you know, to make sure you're getting your vitamins in and, you know, enough fat. But um, I'm certainly not against a vegetarian diet. I mean, there's a reason why the folks out in Loma Linda, California live, they're in that blue zone. They're in one of the four or five blue zones in, in, the, United, in the world that live way longer than the rest of the world, they're vegetarians. They're all Seventh-day Adventists. Um, so there's a lot of good things with being that, so I'm not and down on that at Dr. all. Dr. Gunner goes a lot into how to prep the vegetables so that you're avoiding the inflammatory spikes from it. He's, it's, and he gets it from like, he went to Italy and saw how people prepared the tomato sauce over there so that it doesn't cause the inflammation and the disease that we have here. Some so there's ways to prepare. Read Dr. Gunder's stuff. He's a seven-day Adventist. He was a vegetarian, but couldn't figure out why he was 60 pounds overweight being a vegetarian. Okay. Carbs and lectin. So, you know, you're doing well. So, again, what works for one person may not for another. Okay. you got to see your tonsils. You make sure your gut's working fine. Anybody that comes to see us, the first thing we say is, no matter what problem they come in, is how's your gut doing? And most of the time, if they come into us with an autoimmune problem, which we deal a lot with, Hashimoto's, all this stuff, diabetes, thyroid, cortisol, adrenals, how's your gut? And every time they have an autoimmune disease, it's, man, my gut's terrible. I'm bloated all the time or I'm constipated. Well, if you don't fix that, you're gonna have a really hard time fixing their Hashimoto's or their inflammatory immune responses. So work on the leaky gut first, and it's usually not that hard. Um, yeah, that's not an issue for this guy anyway. So, it, it, so. yeah. We check all our levels when they come in. Yeah. yeah. He's one of our star patients. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, guys, for listening to this episode of the podcast. Uh, please share the podcast with your friends. And if you haven't subscribed yet, please subscribe. Uh, we will see you guys next time.